Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Saturday, May the 7th, 2022. It is currently 1017 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas, where to be honest, I guess to be honest with you, I, I guess to be honest with you, I, I'm i I'm not very excited to do this episode. This, this is part two of something we started yesterday, so I definitely need to finish it. But by the time we finished part one, I'm just going to be honest with you, I was kind of, I was, I, I was frustrated, irritated, bothered. And it's just another one of those situations within Christianity that I find myself greatly bothered and frustrated about. I I don't know if you heard my episode where I express my frustration with hermeneutics. Extremely frustrated about that. And here's another situation, which in many cases, well, it, it relies on hermeneutics, how we interpret the Bible, that frustrates me as well. Because you would think that after 2,000 years of church history, after 2,000 years of church history, that there could be agreement within Christianity to a very simple question like, how do you know you are a Christian? How do you know you are a Christian? After 2,000 years of church history, you think you could put 50 Christians in a room and say, how do you know you are a Christian? And in unity, everyone would all say, pretty close to the exact same thing. However, that's not the case. And you have to ask yourself, how can, how can it be that after 2,000 years of church history, Christians cannot agree simply on how you know you're truly saved? Christians cannot agree on what is the actual source of our assurance. It appears Christians cannot even agree that we can be assured of our salvation. It's it's really frustrating. It really bothers me. I'm not going to go back and review everything we we did in part one. I would challenge you to go back and listen to it. We, we've really, we've done a couple of very important kind of mini-series. We did a mini-series drawing the distinction between law and grace. We did a mini-series drawing a distinction between our position in Christ versus our practice. And now we are, well, looking and trying to answer the question, and how do you know you're a Christian? Are you really a Christian? How do you know? Where do you find your assurance? To make it simple, to make it very simple, there's really basic two fun, there's basically two ideas or two perspectives in regards to how do you know you are a Christian? Perspective number one goes something like this. The way you know you are a Christian is by what you do and don't do, or you could say it this way. The way you know you are a Christian are by the works you do. Now, I know many within this camp say, well, it may be the works I do, but it's God working through me. But still, you are looking to what you're doing and what you're not doing to to determine if you're truly saved. 
your works, your actions, that is what supposedly proves you are saved. That is, that is a very common way of looking at it within the evangelical world. It's like, how do I know I'm saved? Well, here's, I, I look, I look to this, 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 and this, and I don't do this. I do this. I don't do this. I do this. I do this. I do this. Therefore, I know I am saved. So how do you know you're saved? Based on what you do. All right. The other perspective would say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought we said that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. No, my assurance is not based on what I do. It's based on what Christ did. I don't look to what I do. I look to the finished work of Jesus Christ because by faith, his perfect righteousness and obedience is imputed to my account. My salvation is not based or proven by what I do. It is based and proven by what Christ finished, what he accomplished. All right, that those are the two basic systems. Now, and and, I, and look, there's just no, like it, it just drives me crazy that there cannot be agreement. But many who would say no, you have to look to your works, look to your works. They would claim that they believe in a salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. They would claim that they believe that we are saved by an imputed righteousness. But then they would go on and say, however, if you're saved, you will do this, this, and this, which seems to imply they don't actually believe we're saved by an imputed righteousness. It seems to imply that they believe that we are saved by an infused righteousness, which would return us right back to, well, the Roman Catholic Church. The whole Protestant Reformation was a rejection of a salvation or a justification by an infused righteousness instead of a put forth the idea of a salvation based on an imputed righteousness. Well, if I'm saved by an imputed righteousness, that is a righteousness that doesn't make me righteous in practice. It declares me to be perfectly righteous. It's just accredited to my account. So why would I then tell people they have to look to practical righteousness as some kind of proof that they have been declared righteous by faith, that they have, in in a sense, they've been an imputed righteousness has been accredited to their account. How can a, pra- a practical righteousness or a righteousness in practice prove imputed righteousness? It absolutely contradicts the entire concept. I am declared to be perfectly righteous, perfectly holy. I am in Christ, and it is by faith that his righteousness and obedience is imputed to my account. My practical righteousness could never prove that. It would have to be an infused righteousness, which I then cooperate with, which is Roman Catholicism. So we talked about these two concepts. Now, what we did is someone, I I, I went back and looked. I don't know if someone actually sent me this video or if I found it somewhere else. I, I, I initially said in part one that someone sent me the video. Now I'm not so sure, but I get sent a lot of things. So sometimes I lose track on which thing comes, because what happens a lot of times when it's sent to me, I immediately will save something and you just delete the email because I can't keep all of the emails because it's easier just to delete things so I know exactly what I'm looking for. So if you did send me the video, and I apologize if I did not give you credit, uh, I, but I, I now I'm questioning if it was sent or if I came across it somewhere. But whatever, wherever it was found, <laughs> however I received it, it is a video where they're asking this question, are you really a Christian? How do you know you're a Christian? And let me make it very clear. They are not going to put forth the answer as 
No, you know you're a Christian by looking to the finished work of Jesus Christ. No, this video is very much in the camp. How do you know you're a Christian? You look at what you do and don't do. That's what your works determine if you are saved. And I would say, yes, works do determine if I'm saved. The works of Jesus Christ that are imputed to my account. I do believe obedience proves that I'm saved. Not my obedience, the obedience of Jesus Christ. I do believe holiness proves that I'm saved. Not my holiness, the holiness of Jesus Christ, which is imputed to my account. That's the whole reason I believe in a salvation by an imputed righteousness, not an infused righteousness. It's just so bizarre that I think in many cases, much of, of, of the evangelical Protestant world today really is just a Protestant version of Roman Catholicism. It's like, it's very similar to Roman Catholicism. We just change the words. We try to word it a little different. Obviously, we replace the magisterial, author the magisterial authority of the Roman Catholic Church, and we replace it with ourselves. We are now the Pope. We're now the magisterial authority. We now offer the authoritative interpretation of God's word, and we basically take their kind of a infused righteousness works-based system we bring it over into the Protestant world. Oh, we, 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 we try to, we try to use different language. So it seems different. But when you really look at it, it's saying the same thing. Let me at least try to explain this. All right. Because, because we talked about this in part one. I know Protestants, the evangelical world, non Catholics will say something like this. We are not saved by works, but our salvation will produce works. And if I don't have those works, then I was never saved. And we're like, see, we're different than Roman Catholicism. But just think about that for three seconds. You're, you're still saying that I, there must be works or I'm not saved. You may want to try to say, no, salvation first, then works. But if I don't have works, I'm not saved. So you can try all day to say you're, you're, you're preaching in a, a salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. But you're still saying works are required. Now, I believe works that we, that, we should be seeking to live a godly life that works should flow from our salvation out of gratitude, out of love because of what God has done for us. But I don't think that I look to that to prove that I'm saved because if I'm looking to that to prove that I'm saved, then I am saying no matter how you want to get around it, that I have to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, N, Z. I have to do this or I'm not saved. And I can't do this and I have to avoid doing A, B, C, D, you get the idea, or I'm not saved. Well, that's, no matter how you want to get around it, you've now just made salvation works essential for salvation. You have. And you can say, no, we, it's salvation by grace. And it's like we throw out a little bumper sticker saying, thinking, oh, see, we're different. See, we, we are, we're saved by grace alone through faith alone, but the faith, that, but, the, but the faith that saves does not remain alone. Works will follow. Okay, that sounds great. And now you're going to tell me if I don't have enough of these so-called works, then I'm not saved. Meaning works are required. And I will argue all day that is teaching an infused righteousness. I do believe works are required. The work of Christ, which was perfect, which was finished, which was imputed to my account. My salvation 
is because of what Christ did. My assurance is in what Christ did, not in what I do. I I cannot stress that enough. So we're going to go back to this video. We made it. I'm sorry, that's a pencil rolling across the table. We made it six minutes into this uh, video. And basically what they're doing, they're going to give us a 15-point test. Right? 15 points in this test. You are to administer yourself this test, I guess, on a regular and consistent basis to see if you're saved. But logically speaking, reality is whatever assurance you have today is of no real value because you may fail the test tomorrow. And if you really think about it logically, the only test that really matters to prove that you're saved is when you get to the end of your life. So when you get to the end of your life, you look back, you take this 15-point test they're about to give us, and this will somehow tell you, well, you're getting ready to go to heaven, or I'm sorry, you're getting ready to go to hell, okay? Because <laughs> this is the test that everyone must be looking at. Now, I will argue that if, you, if you're even halfway honest with yourself, even just a little bit honest with yourself, you, you're, you fail this test. Everyone fails this test. But here's the test that they give. I, yesterday, I got so frustrated because we learned a very interesting thing in this test that we're about to listen to. Holiness does not mean perfection. I know, I was I was shocked by that. I thought holiness meant without sin, absolutely other than, different than. I mean, God is holy, 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 but I guess now we can say God is not quite perfect, not quite perfect, not quite perfect, because I'd never heard anyone say holiness does not mean perfection. I have never heard that, but lo and behold, We've learned that yesterday, and you're going to hear it again. So I'm going to play the first part of everything that we covered yesterday. I'm not going to be able to stop it and break down each one. Um, it's just, it's crazy. Um, and then we will continue on. So if you missed part one, please go back and listen to it. But here we go. Let's see how far we can make it today. Here we go. Hello, and welcome to a Wretched. My name is Todd Friel. I am your host with a bad elbow. The wretch the song refers to, are you 100% beyond the shadow of a doubt certain that you are going to heaven? Let's take a little test, shall we? Todd, let's not. Oh, come on. The Bible says exactly. Okay. I got I said I'm not going to jump in, but I got to jump in. Are you 100% sure? Are, do you have complete assurance that you are saved? And what's insane is for me to have 100% assurance, for me to know without, with certainty that I am saved, he doesn't point me to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He doesn't point me to the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. No, 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 no. He points me to my works, what I do, my obedience, my holiness, which is absolutely absurd. It To me... I, 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 it's just the Protestant version of Roman Catholicism. Why, why would you, if you want 100% certainty, you cannot look at yourself because you are a sinner with a sinful nature. You fall short of God's standards 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You say, no, that's not true. God says, be holy as he is holy. You will never meet that standard. God says, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. You will never, you fall short of that continually. Love your neighbor as yourself. You fall short of that continually. You're to 
place others before you. You fall short of that continually. Wives are submit themselves to their husbands as unto the Lord. They fall short of that continually. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Men fall short of that continually. Children are to obey, to honor and obey their parents. They fall short of that continually. Parents are not to provoke their children to wrath. They fall short of that continually. I can go from scripture to scripture to scripture to scripture, which these are passages of law telling you what you should do and not do, and you will find yourself guilty every single day. So if you want 100% certainty and you're looking at yourself, well, I'm so full. That's just a fool's errand. It, it's just foolish. You're never going to have uh, assurance. And if you convince yourself you do, it's because you're either lowering God's standard to a place where you think you can meet it, or you're exalting your self-righteousness to a level that you think you're actually obedient to God's word, which means you are deluded and you're going to become arrogant and prideful, and it's going to have major negative spiritual side effects in your life probably going to end up becoming an arrogant, condemning, condescending jerk. It's probably what's going to happen. All right, but but yeah, 100%, are you 100% certain? Okay, well, according to him, what, what, and based off what we heard yesterday and what you're getting ready to hear again today, the way to have that 100% certainty is to take a test. <laughs> and I will say that this test would condemn me. So my certainty cannot be found in my performance of the test. My certainty has to be found in someone who would pass the test. That is Jesus Christ. Here we go. Examine yourself and see if you are in the truth. And based on the Bible, a fellow named John Piper, you know him, don't you, Mr. Desiring God? He found 15 15 questions that we should ask ourselves to see if we are really believers. Let's do that now. Shall we? Test question number one. You do good stuff. James, faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Make no mistake about it. This is not about work righteousness, doing stuff to get to heaven. But because you've been forgiven and because you're going to heaven, you do good stuff. And see, he, he plays a little word game. Hey, this is not about a works righteousness. No, 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 no. It's not about works righteousness. No, it's that you will do good stuff because you're saved. Okay, and if I don't do enough good stuff, then I'm not saved. So how much good stuff is required for me to know that I'm saved? How much good stuff is required? How much? According to God's standard, it would be perfectly good stuff. It would be nothing but good stuff. That would be God's standard. But always when people give these tests, it's, well, it's not, it's not that you're going to be perfectly good, but I'll be what, 50% good, 60% good. They never can say. It's always like, how do you know you're saved? You do good stuff. But, 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 but we're not talking about a works righteousness. You know, I will, listen, I will agree. How do I know I'm saved? Good stuff. I do good stuff. You're absolutely right. And guess who did the good stuff for me? Jesus Christ. And all of his obedience, passive and active, has been imputed to me. So you're right. I will only be saved if I do good stuff. And in Christ, I've done nothing but good stuff. See? You see the difference? No, no. No, don't look to Christ's good stuff. Look to my, the stuff I do. Well, then I, I'm, I'm never going to know I'm saved because I never do enough good stuff. Or let me see if I can remember how this goes. 
the good that I want to do, I don't do, and the bad that I want to avoid, I end up doing. Oh, yeah, I think that was the Apostle Paul. But, you know, what does he know? Are you? Are you doing good stuff? Are you doing things that God asks you to do? Are you being obedient? Or are you kind of lazy when it comes to spiritual fruit? Number two, the necessity of obedience. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So you're going to do everything that God tells you to do. You're going to do everything God tells you to do. Now, the fact that this individual is saying it, he must be implying that he does everything God tells him to do, which would mean he is sinless. You can't say the test is you do everything God tells you to do. And then all of a sudden you, you, you know, no, 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 no. It's, it's not perfection. No, if you do everything God tells you to do, I have it right here. God tells me what to do right here in the pages of his word, right? Love my enemy, turn the other cheek, forgive those. Scripture after scripture after scripture, there are demands and demands and thou shalt and thou shalt not. There's hundreds of them all throughout the Bible. Well, then you would do every single one of them. And let me tell you, you do not. But I know someone who did. Oh, that would be Jesus Christ. And his obedience is imputed to me. See, that's the whole difference between a works-based system and a grace-based system. Even he can argue all day. No, no, no. This is not a works righteousness. But what you're literally saying is I cannot be saved unless I do everything God tells me to do. That's law. And I will say it again, the grace of God provides what the law of God demands. This is preaching law, but it's preaching law as the proof of one's salvation, meaning law keeping is how you know you're saved. No, the imputed right, the law keeping of Christ is how I know I'm saved. That's the way I would state it. There are lots of things that we are supposed to be about the business of. A first of which is not ending a sentence with a preposition. After that, there's a lot of stuff that we should be doing to be obedient because we are saved. Not to be saved, but to prove that we are saved, we're going to do stuff in obedience. See, now, not, not to be saved, but to prove we're saved. But if I don't do it, I'm not saved. It's just a circle. It's circular reasoning. Hey, you're not doing it to be saved, but if you don't do it, then you were never saved, meaning I have to do it in order to be saved. You, you, it's just a game we play. It's just like, well, we don't want to be like Roman Catholicism. Well, you're, if you're looking to practical righteousness to prove your salvation, then you don't believe we're saved by an imputed righteousness. You clearly believe we are saved by an infused righteousness, which makes us righteous. And now that righteousness has to be manifested. And if it's not seen, then I'm not saved because it would clearly show that I have not been infused with righteousness. That is literally Catholicism 101. I think some Protestants are better Catholics than Catholics. And I know I said much of this yesterday, but here we go. We're we're just moving through. I I said I wasn't going to interrupt each one, but it's just, it's almost impossible not to hear these and not want to go, what? And how do, how do the, how does the average evangelical Christian 
not see the contradiction to the gospel of grace in this way of thinking. But they, they, they don't believe that there's a contradiction. Number three, the necessity of holiness. Gulp, Hebrews 12, 14, Rexella. Strive for peace with all men and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, look, I, I completely agree. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. I'm never going to be holy because holy, it means other than sin with no sin. But Christ is holy and his holiness is imputed to my account. But listen to what he does. He just says holiness is required, right? Now we're getting ready to find out that that doesn't mean perfection. Listen. In other words, if you're going to see God, you're holy, not perfect, but growing in holiness. You're becoming. You see how he did that? You're holy, not perfect. You're growing in holiness. No, 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 no. Without holiness, no one sees the Lord. I have to be holy. Now he just, he just, he states it in a dogmatic way and then backtracks a little bit. Holiness does not mean perfection. That is the most insane thing I've ever heard in my life. Holiness does not mean perfection. So now when I say God is holy, 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 I need to clarify that doesn't mean he's perfect. No, God demands holiness. I'm unholy, but Christ is holy and his holiness is imputed to me. So in Christ, I am holy. Therefore, I can see the God because the holiness God demands, he provides. The holiness God's law demands the holy is the holiness God's grace provides. I don't know how you can't, if you don't reconcile this, you're literally, you just should just leave your church and go back to a Roman Catholic church because you're believing in a salvation by an infused righteousness, not an imputed righteousness, an infused righteousness, which you then must manifest to a certain level to demonstrate you received the infused righteousness. That is Roman Catholicism. More and more like the Savior if you are saved. Number four. The necessity to forgive others. Matthew 6, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Because you've been forgiven so much, you forgive other people. I know there's a lot of people who would say, well, they have to repent first. I kind of think, you know, I was forgiven so much. I could happily forgive somebody who's done something bad to me because I appreciate what was done for me. Do you forgive people when they do you wrong? And uh, this, this one is just crazy. Uh, he, he almost minimizes it. Well, I mean, you know, God's forgiven me so much so I can easily forgive other people. Yeah, okay. Well, you, you say that when, uh, you know, you, you're, you're counseling a woman who's been, I don't know, raped multiple times by her father or her stepfather or a child who was molested hundreds of times by a preacher or a priest. Yeah. Hey, you just forgive because if you don't, you're not saved. You better forgive. See, now it's forgiveness here is not even about your psychological standing. It's like if you don't forgive, you are not saved. I will say 100% God demands I forgive. Praise God. Christ forgave. He forgives. So his obedience to this demand is imputed to my account. Now, should I forgive? Yes. Am I called to forgive? Yes. Will I always do it perfectly? No. And if you think that you do, it's crazy because forgiveness is something that, in a sense, arises from within us. 
And what is inside of you and what is inside of me? A sinful nature. So even our best forgiveness is always tainted and corrupted in some way, shape, or form. And you may think you've forgiven someone on a Monday and then something happens, a memory, certain, and then all of a sudden you'll realize there's a little bit of bitterness there and anger and you'll realize, man, I don't know if I've completely forgiven. It is a battle. Yes, we should forgive. Yes, we are called to forgive. No one is calling that into question. The issue is now I'm going, the way I know I'm saved is, so guess, though, that means you can never have true assurance until you get to the end of your life and you have to think back of all the horrible things that's happened to me. Have I truly forgiven everyone? Because if I haven't, then I am not saved. That is the most works-based concept I have ever heard in my life. And they're going to, they will argue, no, 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 no. It's not works-based. We're, we, we forgive to prove we're saved. And if I don't, then I'm not saved, meaning that I have to believe. And then what do I have to do? We can go through all the things. I have to do good stuff. I have to obey. I have to be holy. I have to forgive. If I don't do these things, I'm not saved. You can say all day, no, you're saved by grace. This proves it. That's just playing a word game. You would have to look at anyone and everyone and say, here's what's required for salvation. Believe in Jesus Christ. Do good stuff. Obey everything he tells you to do. Be holy as he is holy, and you must forgive others. If you don't do any of these things, you are not saved. Now, people will, I'm going to get emails, but, but they don't mean that you have to do it perfectly. So now you're like, then how much imperfection to these tests can be present in my life and I still can consider myself saved. If I, if I'm scoring a 60 on the test, is that a 70 and 80? Because God demands absolute perfection is what God demands. And he provides that perfection in Jesus Christ. That could be a country song. Alrighty, number five, the necessity not to live according to the flesh. Galatians 5, 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You find yourself desiring something and you kill it because you're a Christian. You don't live according to the flesh. See, this, this sounds like he's almost saying you're going to be without sin. Now, now he'll backtrack and say, no, 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 no. You're not going to be perfect. I mean, give me a break. You're not living according to the flesh. And as soon as you feel that desire, you kill it because you're saved. Well, okay, well then if that's not sinless perfection, what is it? What is it? Now, I, you just look at your own life. You don't live according to the flesh. Give me a break. Man, you, you, you desire the things of the flesh. You fulfill that desire. You, I mean, come on. Like what, what kind of self-denial do you have to impose on yourself to convince yourself that you're passing this test in any meaningful way? And you apply this test to 2,000 years of Christian history. And I'm telling you, all of Christianity fails this test over and 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 over again. And anyone who says otherwise, you're just lying. You're lying or you're so self-deceived that there's no point in even having a conversation because you cannot even see the reality that is right in front of you.
do you? Remember what we're doing here, taking a Piper 15-point test to see if you are actually in the faith. Number six, the necessity of being free from the love of money. Oh, this is a hard one in America, isn't it? To love money, to love the stuff. Nothing wrong with cash. You need it. You got it. We can do a lot of ministry with it. You can buy stuff. That's swell. You can feed yourself, clothe your family. Thumbs up on that. But when you love it, well, it shows you're not a Christian. You have it. Okay. If you love money, you're not a Christian. If, if you have lo the love of money, you are not a Christian. Wow. That's. I'm just going to look something up here. I could be completely wrong. I'm not going to tell you what I'm looking up because if it's not there, I don't want to in any way make any kind of. Uh... Let me see if I can find it here. Let me see here. I I just find it. I find it funny here. Okay. So, all right. Um, I'm, I'm looking here. All right, uh, let me see here. Okay, well, that's that seems good. All right. Um, okay, well, hey, now, I, I, I'm going to at least just throw this out there a little bit, okay? Now, I, I, it would be interesting. The person speaking is from Wretched Radio or Wretched Television. Now, I do not know, I mean, it would be interesting to see here, Um I don't know if he speaks at any conferences that charges people crazy amounts of money. I'm looking at the Wretched Store. They have a store where you can buy all kinds of, of products. You can buy all kinds of stuff. You can buy video, booklets, books, audio curriculum. You can buy all kinds of things. In fact, uh, this is interesting. Um, yes. <laughs> okay. I, now, this is it. This is for audio. Audio. So to, uh, to buy audio teaching. Now, the reason I'm going to go here is because I've been producing audio teaching for, I don't know, almost 20 years, right? I know how much it costs. I, again, let me tell you, you can grab a microphone like I've got right here, the microphone I have right here, which is a, a, about a $120 microphone. I have a Dell laptop, which is not even a great one, which was only a couple of hundred dollars. And if I was to, if I was to take this microphone, that laptop, Download the Anchor podcasting app, which is absolutely free, and they become a, a hosting site. I could get my teaching on all the podcasting apps, and it would cost me literally nothing but my time and the initial investment for the laptop and the microphone. So probably for within $500, maybe $600 if I wanted to get a nicer laptop, which I probably de desperately need, um, I could get my teaching online. If I want to be on Sermons 2.0 app, that would be $50 a month. Um, if I want to be on, uh, like, say, Spreaker, and I want to be able to do, well, on, on Sermons 2.0, I could do live broadcasting. and uh, not So, yeah, I mean, so so for, probably for two, well, well, the initial investment of probably about, uh, about, probably about $500 initial investment with no monthly 
fees, I could be getting my teaching online. And then for $50 a month, I could then I could use Sermons 2.0 as my podcast hosting site. And then I could uh, get my stuff on all the, the uh, podcasting apps. I mean, I could probably pull it off for just $50 a month if I, if I, if I wanted to. Uh, so I, whenever I see any ministry selling audio teaching, I have to look at it with a little, with a head turned a little bit and going, really? So if I want their uh, teaching on uh, 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 62 biblical counseling lessons, this will cost me somewhere between $19.99 and $24.99. They're just MP3 files. If I want to know how to slay the dragon, this will cost me between $4 and $6. Okay, this is how, how, how to get rid of, how to putting pornography to death once and for all, right? So if I, so they, they so want to help men with pornography that I got to get paid between, I, I don't know why it says $3.99 to $5.99. I don't know why there's a difference there, but okay. So, um, if I, so they want to help men. Now, now remember, if you love money, you're not a Christian. So they want to put out teaching to help men overcome pornography, but you have to pay money for it. You, you see where I start calling it into, oh yeah, 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 yeah. You don't, you know, if you, but, but you're going to tell me that if I love money, I'm not even a Christian, but you can have a ministry where you want to help men overcome pornography only for the low, low price of between four and $6 for an MP3 file for crying out loud. Come on, why wouldn't you give that away for free? If I want to, uh, purity is possible, finally free. How, again, I'm assuming dealing with possibly purity, and I'm assuming in regards to sexual morality. Well, I can get this one for $10.99 to $15.99. If I go to uh, drive-by theology, I can get this 35 systematic theology lessons. Wow. They want us to know, the, uh, the, oh, this will only cost me between $19.99 and $24.99. If I want, uh, if I want to uh, get a discussion on the Holy Spirit, 20, 37 lectures, this will cost me $20. If I want to get how to be a better parent, uh, 20, somewhere between $20 and $24. Um, if I want to have a good marriage, $19.99 to $24.99, I can go through all of these and they, I mean, th- those are MP3 files, MP3 files. No, I- I'm sorry. You, you can't convince me in any way, shape or form that, that what you're selling there is worth the money that someone is paying because I produce close to 900 episodes a year that are absolutely free. But you're going to tell me that one of the ways someone knows you're saved is you don't love money. You don't love money. Because if you love money, you're not a Christian. (laughs) But then that very ministry that puts out that video is selling MP3 files of Bible teaching. I mean, look, you draw your own conclusions, but I'm sorry. I have a major issue with that. You should, the, the, the teaching of God's word put behind a paywall. When you're a ministry that's telling everyone, if you love money, you're not even saved. You don't see at least the irony in that. Maybe the inconsistency dare I say, and I don't want, I won't say, I won't go any further than that. I just see there's some, a glaring inconsistency there to me. 
Because first of all, if you really are just focused on ministry, you would be putting your audio teaching everywhere you could. It would be on every podcasting app. It would be on Spotify. It would be on Deezer. It'd be on Pandora, Amazon Music, Audible, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Pocket Cast, every po- Apple Podcast, Google Podcast. It would be literally everywhere. It would be on YouTube and it would be free. Now, I got no problem having a donate button and anyone who wants to support that because it does require work to get there. And the more places you put it, the more hosting sites you have, the more it costs, right? I understand that. I do understand the cost that is involved. I know that you, if, 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 if everything falls apart, you can go down, you can reduce, now you may, re, you may greatly reduce your reach. But you can you can find ways to pull it off for about fifty dollars a month. You know you can probably pull it off for there. Or if you if everything went just absolutely fell apart, you could probably do it for free. You, you probably could do it for free as far as your monthly cost. You probably if if everything just came down to it, you probably could pull that off. Now you're greatly going to reduce your reach. I understand that. Like you're not going to have a website, right? To have a our, like our our pod page that cost us, you know, you know, almost twenty dollars a month. I understand that to be on Spreaker, that's our major podcasting app that really gets our stuff everywhere. I mean, that's almost a hundred a hundred and twenty dollars a month. So I understand there's cost. I understand there's cost, but you don't want to put the teaching of God's word behind a paywall. And. But I knew that's exactly what was going to happen. I knew what, what I was going to look to. And, and I would go there. I don't know if, if the, the person speaking there, who's a part of Wretched Radio, I don't know if he speaks at any conferences, but don't even get me started on the Christian conference industrial complex where people are paying a hundred, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred, five hundred dollars to get into a conference to hear someone open the Bible and preach. But hey, 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 if you love money, you're not even a Christian. Isn't it amazing the people who give the test never see their own, their own failure of the test they give? That's the problem I had. There's something weird within the world of Christianity. We cannot see our own failure. We cannot even see our own hypocrisy. I've been there. You've been there. We've all been there. And I just, it just seems like we live our life putting on fig leaves to cover up the reality of what we are. Hey, if you love money, if you love money, you are not a Christian. Hey, we've got some teaching um, for $24.99 and we'll teach you how to be a good parent or we'll teach you to have purity. But we don't love money. No, 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 no. We don't love money. We don't love money in any way, shape or form. Oh, you can also donate to our ministry. You can pay to get teaching and then you can donate. Oh, and I'm going to be at a conference where you can pay $100 to get in to see me. But we don't love money. But if you love money, (laughs) if you love money, you're not saved. And how do you know you love money? Because you won't give your money to our ministry. (laughs) I'm not saying that they would say that. But man, it's just, it's a little... You got to laugh. You got to laugh that a ministry would be the one saying that the one of the ways you know you're saved. But once again, it goes to what you're doing. Your salvation is based off what you do, based off what you do. You say, I don't love money. Okay, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Remember, remember Jesus discussion with the rich young ruler. Okay, 
sell everything you have and give it to the poor. If you're unwilling to do that, are you sure you don't love money? I mean, it's easy to convince yourself you don't. And let me make it very clear. You can be poor and love money and you can be rich and love money or you could be in the middle and love money. I will be honest with you. There's, I, I love what money could buy. There's things I want right now. There's always things I want. There, there's always stereo equipment I want. There's always stereo. Look, every, there's never a day goes by that you could say, well, if I was to give you this much money that you could do whatever you want with, it would be like, mm, okay. Stereo. Now, there's always things I need to do with the money that I can't. So I probably wouldn't take the money and do the things I need. But yeah. I mean, look, I would, I would, if I had money, I would replace this computer sitting right here next to me. Immediately. Uh, I I need, in certain ways, an iPad mini. Right? It'd be perfect for preaching and teaching. It would be the perfect size. That, that would be great. I don't have the money for that. I don't have the money for, a, uh, you know, a, a MacBook Pro. I don't have a, a money for that. So I have to use this. To, like, I, there's always, that would all be money for ministry things. See? See? So maybe I should put my teaching behind a paywall. No, most preachers can't put their teaching behind a paywall because you have to have a certain level of celebrity. Once you get a certain level of celebrity, for some reason, your teaching now can be sold. Isn't it really weird? No celebrity. You just post your sermons online. You get a little bit of celebrity. All of a sudden, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can now, the very same teaching that I was giving away before I became a celebrity is now the same teaching that I'm charging people money in order to receive. But hey, if you love money, you're not saved. I I, I mean, I have to call that out. I just have to call that out. So, I I mean, it's just, and I I could probably do a little bit in searching around their website to find more illustrations of this, but the fact that they put MP3 files behind a paywall that says all I need to hear. Right, here, let's continue. In its right perspective, if you're saved. Number seven, how are you doing, by the way? The necessity of love to Christ and God. First Corinthians 16, if anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. If you are a Christian, you love him. Okay, if you are, so now the next thing that proves you're a Christian is you love him. You love him. Him. Now, do you know how difficult that could be first to measure? Because every Christian will say, oh, I love Jesus. I love, I love him so much. Okay, that sounds wonderful. Okay, so what would be some of the proofs of love? Now, I, I used to preach it this way. Well, if you truly love God, you'd be spending most of your time reading and studying and praying and worshiping and praising and meditating. Do you do that? I mean, the the time you spend with God, the desire you have for God, that would demonstrate your love for him. Well, you you preach that just a little bit. You can get everyone to come to the altar. You can get, if you're trying to do the altar call thing, you can get everyone, because everyone's going to be like, I don't love God enough. I don't love God. Nobody loves God enough. Nobody. Nobody loves God supremely. We love ourselves supremely, no matter how much we want to tell otherwise. We love ourselves supremely. That is the essence of our sinful nature. Remember, the definition of, the, the definition of sin is the exaltation of the I. How do you understand sin? Sin is the exaltation of the I. You. 
you, the exaltation of yourself. We love God. In theory, yes. And pride, this is the way, I love you, Lord. I'll see you next week for an hour on Sunday. And if I'm a little tired, maybe not. Sunday night, you're pushing it. Wednesday, out of the question. Read my Bible, study the Bible, listen to sermons, pray, praise, meditate. No, I got other things to do this week. So anyone, anyone who's even remotely honest with themselves and like, I don't love, so how do you even quantify this? How, what's the way you measure this? Well, I mean, I, I like him. No, no, no. You have to love him. And the God standard is you will love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your body, and with all your soul. So if you don't love to that level, then you are not loving him according to what he demands. Therefore, according to this test, you wouldn't be saved. But the love that God demands is the love that Christ provides because Christ, the Father loved the Son, the Son loved the Father, and there's perfect love within the Trinity. And that, by, by faith, is imputed to me. So, yes, love is required, and Christ provides the love that is required. What the law demands, grace provides. A lot. In fact, you love him more than anything else, perhaps especially money. You love God if you're a believer. How you doing on the test, by the way? We got, we're about halfway there. Here we go, number eight. Todd, we're exactly halfway there. The necessity to, you can't have half with 15 for real. The necessity to love others. Oh, this one's hard. Truly I say to you, as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And they will go away into gulp, eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Okay, now, first of all, he's taking a passage. We would have to look at the passage, but please note the way this game is played. Oh, man, I, I remember Catholic University. They, they mock Protestants for this all day. Like, you say you believe in salvation by grace alone, but you don't, because then you'll quote a, a, a verse about judgment, which is clearly a judgment according to works, and then you'll somehow say, well, we're not, it doesn't save us, but it proves we're saved. But if you just quote a verse about judgment, which says, if I don't do this and do this and do this, then I'm going to go away into eternal punishment, gulp. Well, then that would mean that my salvation is dependent upon my works. It doesn't, that it just proves my work. You can say that all day. Prove or required, it's the same thing. Because if I don't have the proof, I'm not saved. So therefore, not only must I believe in Jesus, I must love my neighbor and that love must be manifested in what I do. If I don't do enough of it, well, then I'm not saved. Meaning I'm saved by works. Now, we can look at that passage. What is exactly is that passage referring to? Is that passage, is that a, a reference to the nations and how they treated Israel? Is that, a, is that a judgment about who goes into the millennial kingdom? There's all kinds of arguments about the passage he's making reference to, but we could do this. Yes, I'm going to be judged according to those works. And the judgment and the requirement that is demanded in that judgment is provided by God's grace. I will never love my neighbor the way I'm supposed to, but in Christ, he did. Christ loved his neighbor perfectly, and that is imputed to my account.
Yeah. See, it, it's, a, it's amazing when you just understand this from a gospel of grace perspective versus basically a gospel of works. Even though you try to claim it's not a gospel of works, you are, you're contradicting what you're saying because you're making works required. <laughs> if you're a believer, you love people. Hey, can I just ask you a little question? If we could put one of those little police monitor dealy bobs right on your dashboard and film you while you're driving, would, would we see that you love other drivers? Huh? Hey. Number nine, the necessity to love the truth. They are to perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Christians love theology. We don't want it squishy and wishy-washy and all wobbly. And Well, you know, it doesn't really matter as long as we're sort of in the ballpark. No, it does matter because we love the truth because he is truth and that's what we love. We love him and so we love the truth because he loves the truth because after all, he is the truth. I know that's tough for you postmoderns, but he is. Number 10. Hey, we love theology. We love the truth. Do Christians love theology? Do Christians really love the truth? How would, how would your love for the truth be demonstrated? A desire for it, reading, studying. Come on. You know how many Christians would fall short? I mean, at this point, any, at this point, everyone should say, Oh, me, I'm undone. And not only that, we've already demonstrated, we've already called into question the one giving the test who says you shouldn't love money, who's selling the preaching of God's word in an MP3 file format for money. Okay. So we've already, we've already called into question the quote unquote perfection of the one proclaiming this message, which is just, like, how do you not see this? Now, maybe, maybe when he's done, he's going to, he's going to demonstrate that no one can, I'm hoping that's where he's going. I'm hoping he's setting us up. What I'm hoping now, now that I'm thinking, I'm hoping that he's setting us up. I'm hoping that by the time he gets done with this, he's going to say, see, none of you meet any of these standards. Therefore, we're, uh, we, we cannot look to these things to prove that we're saved. I'm hoping that's what, I'm hoping that's what he's going to do. I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping. Here we go. The necessity of being childlike. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. In other words, you have a trusting faith. You believe stories like Jonah and the whale and the Red Sea parting. You have a childlike faith that trusts because you know that he is omnipotent. Number 11. The ne- you got to have a childlike faith. So what if you have someone who struggles with doubt and, 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 and questions and are they not saved? I mean, like, like he, he's just going through these so quick. These are, these are literally things that are either going to prove someone is saved or going to go to hell. Now, maybe again, I'm hoping the way he's going through it so fast and he's doing it with a little bit of sarcasm, a little bit of humor, when this would be such like a serious subject, I'm hoping that he's going to be like, gotcha, God, nobody passes the test. That's why our hope is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I'm starting to think that's where he has to be going because there's just no way. You would handle this in such a, just a lighthearted way. Hey, are you sure you're saved? Well, clearly you're not. I, 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 I would, you would, it, no, it would just seem like there would be a, a different feeling to this. That it would be like, man, you know, th- this is serious because many of you are clearly not saved and you're clearly going to go to hell. But he's doing it in such a lighthearted way. I, I, I've got to be misunderstanding what, where he's going with this. Let, let's see. We've got to go. We're going to go longer than an hour, but we're going to try to finish this. Here we go.
Necessity to uh, bridle the tongue. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is in vain. Do you control this little thing that's like a little, like a rudder on a ship that can cause a forest fire? Do you have it under control? Because if you do, you're a Christian. If you don't, you're not. All right, so now you know you're saved by how you control your tongue. How you control your tongue. <laughs> wow. Okay. Clearly, I mean, no, you, everyone would be fouling this. You know how, how many, just look, just forget, behind closed doors, behind closed doors where nobody can see you. You don't have your fig leaves on. You've taken your fig leaves off. You've, you've spent time at church with all the rest of the people dressed in fig leaves. You come home, you remove the fig leaves. So now the real you comes out. Come on. How do you control your tongue with your kids, with your spouse, when, when, when you're talking about people at work, when you're talking about people from church, when you're talking about that podcaster, <laughs> yeah, when, when you're talking about your pastor, come on now, is your tongue under control? Are, are you glorifying? Are you allowing no corrupt communication to proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is edifying, only that which builds up, only that which glorifies God? Give me a break. If we had audio recordings of every believer for just a week where they know they didn't think anybody was listening, oh, I think we would find plenty of corruption coming out of their mouth, plenty of backstabbing, gossip, slander, unloving, sarcasm anger, mean, vindictive, bitterness, it would be, it would, you would be shocked at what you would hear. You know it. I know it. So stop pretending otherwise. We know it. We would be condemned. We would be condemned. That's why we can't look to how I control my mouth. I have to look to the one who controlled his speech perfectly, which was the eternal son of God and his perfect obedience is imputed to my account. Because if I look to anything else for assurance and salvation, I am condemned. I'm going to go to hell. At least, at least Catholics have the good sense to say, hey, these are the things that are required for salvation and you're not going to ever do them perfectly. So at least we have a purgatory to purge away the rest of the imperfections to get you into heaven. Within the, within the, I'll call it the evangelical Catholic system, we just remove purgatory and it's like, you will do this, 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 you just go to hell. You don't even, there, there's not even, there's not even an option for an indulgence, there's not an option for anything. But no matter what they try to say here, they're putting forth basically perfection is required for salvation, which I would completely agree. And that perfection is given to me. In Christ Jesus. And number 12, the necessity of perseverance. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. How do you know that you're a Christian? Well, you're a Christian when you die. Pretty much the deal right there. Number 13. Okay, how do you know you're a Christian? When you die. Now, he just made it, I think the scripture he just made a reference to is a scripture from Matthew 24, which, wait a minute, he, he, he's just ripping verses out of context. Like, they're just going from verse to verse. No context, no context, no context, no context, non-context. This is insane. So basically, he just said, you cannot know you're saved until you die. You can't know you're saved until you die because you've got to persevere. Whatever that perseverance looks like, you have to know. You, you can't. <laughs> wow. Wow. 
This is so works-based. I don't care what they say. You can play all the games you want. This is works-based. Let, let's finish this up. The necessity of walking in the light, 1 John 1. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, what does it mean to walk in the light? Well, to walk in truth, because Jesus is the light. I saw for a couple of things. First, John is a polemic against Gnosticism. It's testing whether you're following the true faith or you've gone following the Gnostic heresy. John had to deal with actual Gnosticism at the time and Gnostic leaders. And not only that, the book in many cases is drawing a distinction between our fellowship with God versus our relationship. Go listen to our mini series on the distinction between our position and our practice. My, my relationship with God is certain, it is eternal, and it's completely dependent upon the finished work of Jesus Christ and his imputed righteousness. Fellowship with God is dependent upon my actions, what I do and don't do. Sometimes I'm in close fellowship, sometimes I'm out of fellowship. If you don't draw that distinction, you basically end up with a works-based system, which is what this continues to put forward like Rob Bell right there. Jesus is that man from Galilee who walked by the shores of the sea and he was the truth. And we will walk in the light because he is light because we're Christians. And finally, the number, oh, it's the, two more to go, Friel. That's why you're not a math major. The necessity of repentance. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Remember the first of the 95 theses, life is a continuing repentance. As God confronts us with our sin, we're continually repenting. It's not just that first time you repent, turn from your sins and put your trust in Jesus, but constantly repenting. We do that because we're saved. And if you don't, well, then you're not. And finally, here we go. Good one, Friel. The necessity of warfare vigilance, 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What, what Paul's getting to there is he does in other places of Scripture. When we're Christians, we're fighting against the flesh, against the devil, against the world system because they are the enemies of God. So there you have it. 15-point test to see if you're actually a Christian. Are you? This is Wretched. I, I really thought somewhere in the middle of that, 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 that he was going to say, see, you all failed. You all failed. And the only hope is Christ. Now, it looks, sounds like they're getting ready to go to a break. We're going to listen to a part of the break and see if he comes back, because I want to give it every opportunity. Remember, when I, re I review these videos, the audio that people send me or I've come across, I don't, I don't listen to them first because I don't want this to ever feel like it's rehearsed, right? So I don't know. I, I, I've got to give him the opportunity because to me, that that you just what you just did is you just gave everyone law, 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 and every single person should say, "Woe is me! I am undone. I'm an unclean man, unclean lips. I am condemned. I am condemned. Woe is me, wretched man that I am. Who can save me?" So he just gave me the bad news. You must do all of these things, or you're not saved. Now he should come in with the beautiful words of the gospel. Jesus Christ did these things for you. By faith, 
His obedience, His righteousness is imputed to you and your salvation is eternally secure because the only way to remove your eternal secure salvation is someone would have to go to heaven and pull Christ off the throne because as long as you are in Him, you're seated in heavenly places with Him because you are in Him, His righteousness, His holiness is yours. No one, your, your actions can't take away the imputed righteousness. Your actions cannot disprove the imputed righteousness because the imputed righteousness is received by faith. This is the basic concept of the gospel. So I'm going to give him every opportunity now to come back and do what I thought he was going to do. Maybe this is just a setup. Maybe this is like, oh man, all the people right now are like, man, I'm condemned. I'm going to hell. I'm going to hell. So he's got to come in with the gospel, right? He's got to. Well, I'm just going to, I'm going to think he has to. Here we go. Well. Okay, here we go. You're saying, hey, skinny boy with the fluffy hair, you're making me feel kind of bad. Well, we're okay with that. Welcome back to our wretched, if you are still with us. Doubt it never happens. Honestly, it doesn't. Well, we just took a 15-point test to see if you are a Christian, and maybe you're asking yourself the question, what exactly is the curve? Can't even tell you how many times I asked that question in school. Uh, what's the curve? I, 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 don't, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's not perfection, but it's absolutely about going in a new direction. Are you... Okay, now, now we got to backtrack, right? Here's the 15... Here's the 15-point test. Now, it's not perfection. It's not perfect, but it's the direction. Now, now, now we're going to backtrack a little bit, right? No, you have to do these things. Now, please know one of those things was holiness, but you don't even have to be perfect there. You've got to forgive others, but not perfectly. You've got to be obedient. Well, not perfectly. You've, you've got to, you've got to do good things. Well, not perfectly. All the things he just said. So now you don't have to do them perfectly. So now my imperfection can somehow be enough to pass the 15 point test to prove that I'm saved. This just becomes, it literally, you end up, you, you, you place a standard in front of everyone. Now you backtrack the standard to the standard almost becoming meaningless because everyone will convince themselves to some level. Well, I'm doing enough. I'm doing enough. I'm doing enough. But please, again, what, what does it come down to? What you're doing, what you're doing, what you're doing. So therefore, we're not even looking to the cross of Christ. We're looking to what we do. And when your salvation starts becoming more about what you do than what Christ did, let me tell you, you've abandoned the gospel of grace and you're turning to a false gospel. Let's see if he goes any further with this. Sure, you are headed in the right direction. And if that little 15-point test made you feel bad, (laughs) wait till you see this. When he speaks about few finding eternal life, he's talking about those, those who profess his name. Among those who call Jesus Lord, few of them will find eternal life. Because we already know these people consider themselves disciples and they call Jesus Lord, Lord. But their life is not marked by the will of God. And so to sum this up, this is what's being said. Depart from me. Those of you who considered yourself my disciples and even emphatically declared me to be Lord, but you did not commune with me and you lived as though I never gave you a law to obey. 
So, okay, so now we're going to go with this idea that, okay, so even amongst those who call Christ Lord, you didn't do enough. You didn't obey enough. You're not saved. Or maybe, maybe there are those who call Christ Lord who trust in their own self-righteousness and their self-righteousness will not be sufficient before God. Because if you know the passage that's somewhat being referred to here is Matthew chapter 7, where they say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do these things? They're trusting in their self-righteousness. And he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, because your work is it is iniquity before a holy God. Your good deeds is nothing but filthy rags. It's the difference between you either trust in your own self-righteousness or you realize that your only hope is in the imputed righteousness. Maybe that's a way of understanding it. But the way we look at it is, no, no, they said, Lord, Lord, they cast out demons. They preached in his name. They did many good works, but see, they, they still lived ungodly lives. Or, or, or they were trusting in their own righteousness. They were trusting in their own righteousness. And your self-righteousness is iniquity before God. Your good works is iniquity before a holy God. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that's far more consistent than this. Okay, well, I'm saved, but I don't know if I'm saved because ooh, I got to do this, 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 and that. I got to keep God's law. Well, I don't have to keep it perfectly. Well, I don't have to keep it perfectly, but I got to keep it like, it just becomes this vague, meaningless concept where I, you know what you do? You just use it to tell everyone else that they're not saved. I just described American Christianity. The 60 or 70 percent of the people in this country who believe. Please note, he's describing other people and how it always works. Say, I, I'm good. I keep all of these. I, I do everything. I keep God's law. I pass the 15 point test, but I'm describing the 60 or 70 percent of all the people out there. All of you, all of you, I'm good. All of you, you're not good. Isn't that how it always works? The one who wants to give the test, the one who wants to tell that 70% of American Christians aren't saved, it's always, that person, of course, always passes the test. That person does everything the right way, but it's everyone else that's garbage. Everyone else is trash, but the one giving the test is always, I got it together. I'm good. Yeah. That, isn't it convenient the way that works? one time in their life they prayed a prayer I'm astounded bewildered confused baffled when people tell me in America we've 75 million people filled with the Holy Ghost and with the rottenest nation on earth come on let me tell you something lost men lost women which is most of the people remember you there be to find it oh yeah there's lots of religious people Lots of people think they're going to heaven. Lots of people in that day say, Lord, Lord. And he says, I never knew you. What he's saying is not everyone who emphatically declares me to be Lord will enter into the kingdom of heaven. This is not some secret discipleship here. This is not some hidden thing. This is a person who would emphatically say, yes, I'm, I'm a Christian. He says, not everyone who says this will enter into the kingdom of heaven, which is synonymous with not everyone who says this is truly Christian.
That's scary. By the way, did you notice there? Not so emphatic about spelling. So what What do you do? How do you know that you're really a believer? These guys keep saying, well, all these people who say they're Christians, they're not. Well, that's exactly what Jesus said. A lot of people are deceived. So how do we figure this out so that you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are going to heaven? It starts by understanding who God is. Who? Okay, so now he's going to try to give us, Yeah, I, I guess now he's going to try to give us some hope. It's like, and I'm hoping that what he's going to do is demonstrate that this entire system of assurance is broken. I mean, he's already he's already seemed to us. I I, I don't know if he can backtrack himself out of this. He's already made it seem clear you cannot have assurance until you die. But you've got to do this, do this. He's already tried to backtrack a little bit, saying, "Well, you don't have to do it perfectly." But he's not really defined how in, how much imperfection can be there to know that I'm saved. But just make sure. So far in this nobody's pointed to the gospel. Nobody has pointed to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Nobody has pointed to the imputed righteousness. Nobody has pointed to his shed blood. It's about you, 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 what you do, what you do, what you do, what you do. Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. It's law, 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 law. Law doesn't save. Law condemns. And they just gave us 15 points of law, which should condemn anyone and everyone other than those who are self-deceived and who are trusting in their own self-righteousness. Lord, Lord, didn't we do all of these things? Depart from me, I never knew you. Because you're trusting in what you did. You're trusting in your own self-righteousness. Trust in my righteousness, because my righteousness is the only sufficient righteousness to get you into heaven not your righteousness. And I'm speaking of Christ's righteousness there. All right, let, let's see if he, what answers he gives here. Who, who is he exactly? George Burns didn't do us any favors when he portrayed God. Ooh, can you spell blasphemy emphatically? That's not what God is. He's not this doddering deist God just kind of looking down and hoping the kids are behaving. Uh-uh. He's actually keeping, keeping track of you everything that you do. He is a holy God. He's a perfect God. He's a God who just spoke it into existence. By the way, take a read through Genesis. The stars, do you know how many stars there are? There's like a billion, billion, billion stars. Some just ridiculously high number. And there's only one little sentence, just kind of a little parenthetical remark. And God made the stars also. Like, no big deal to him. He's He's keeping track of what you do. So, in in this vision of Christianity... That is being put forth, which I, I'm going, I'm getting very close to saying is completely fraudulent. Here's God. I got me a pencil. I got a piece of paper. He's keeping track. All right. All right. There's, there's that person in Indiana who listens to us. And oh, I know, I know there's someone in, in Tennessee who listens to, oh, I know we have a listener in Ohio. Okay. So I can go, okay. Because I mean, it, it's not about me. I mean, God's not keeping track of me. I mean, cause that's the way this is all we are. So he knows what you're doing. He's keeping track of what you're doing, and if and he's keeping track to see if you pass this 15-point test. And you know what he's going to write? Failure, 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 failure. You're condemned. The good news is what God demands, Christ provides. Put your faith in him, then you're saved. You have eternal assurance and you can uh, rest at night knowing that you're truly saved because of what Christ did, not because of what you do, 
don't do are some checklist that God has making sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. I'm hoping he points us to something better than that God is keeping track of me. I don't know how that's supposed to give me any assurance. A holy God keeping track of me. Woe is me. I am undone. You got to give me something. He's got to point to Christ. The next thing has to be Christ. The next thing has to be Christ. It has to be. And he's high and he's holy and he's perfect. And that's where it starts in understanding his character and his nature. Then we need to take a look at our nature and understand we were born little sinners. And if you don't think that we were born little sinners and you don't think that there's such a thing as original sin. Oh, oh, the suspect is driving through stop signs at about 40 miles an hour, manages to keep control of the car, just what you expect until look who jumps out of the car. It's a seven-year-old. A seven-year-old was driving the car. He look at the cop kind of lumbering after. He had taken his father's car in a bold attempt to avoid going to church. Look at him. He just takes <laughs> off into the garage. I don't know where he thought he was going. He was apprehended. Nobody was hurt. See him take off out of he the car? He was determined, but wow. some penance coming his way. But, no, no I was saying, but what jury would convict him of running from a long sermon in a church at that age? Don't we all remember being Daddy in will draw convict him. Yeah, That's right. Daddy. Daddy. <laughs> in the family court. <laughs> wow, so much bad theology, so little time. No such thing as penance. Can you guess who the Roman Catholic is? Seven years old to get away from church. Uh, can you guess that you're putting forth? I, I, oh, I can't. Oh, okay. That's such a condescending. Uh, he's going to throw out and condemn Roman Catholicism. You're preaching Roman Catholicism. You're preaching that my salvation is clearly based off an infused righteousness, not an imputed righteousness. All you've done is given me works, 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 which I must do that supposedly proves that I'm saved. And you've not even once pointed me to the finished work of Jesus Christ. So, oh man, okay. All right, here we go. Church, why? Because even at that age, he hates God like we all do and we all live our lives like we hate God with the sinning, with the disobeying, without praising him, without thanking him. Rebels and hard little seven-year-old fish shakers and 17-year-old and 27-year-old fish shakers, we hate him. But instead of giving us what we deserve, he grants us mercy, but only because his son took the punishment we deserve. And when we understand the highness of God, the lowness of man, the sacrifice of the Savior, it crushes us. We repent, say we're sorry, turn from our sins, flee from our sins, just like that little kid was fleeing from his father. And we put our trust in Jesus. And then we spend the rest of our days joyfully, happily living for heaven. Now, First of all, he doesn't even talk anything about an imputed righteousness. But let's just think this through. If Christ died for all of my sins, Christ died for all of my sins. And when I put my faith in him, that sacrifice is now mine, right? It's now mine. Well, then how could my imperfection prove that I'm not saved because all of those sins that I commit, they were paid for by Jesus Christ. If Jesus paid for all of them, you can't say, well, you don't love God enough. You don't do this. You don't do this. You're not saved. I would be like, no, all of those sins, all of those failures have been paid for. Either they were paid for or they were not paid for. Well, the only way we know they're paid for is because you stopped doing them. What? Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. They're paid for whether I do them or don't do them. Is that not the message? Or can, can Christians figure out what we actually believe? Did Jesus actually pay for all of our sins or no? 
If he did, then my failure, my sin can't prove that I'm saved, can't prove that I'm not saved because all that would prove is that I'm doing that which Christ already has paid for. Doesn't mean it's excusable. Doesn't mean that we look the other way, but it can be used to prove that I'm not saved because I'm doing something that's already been paid for. It's already been taken care of. It's already been covered. It's already been forgiven. It's already take, it's, it's removed. The power of the thought of heaven in the Christian life is that it causes us to live for that which is most important. Rather than living for temporal things that are visible, we should always be living for eternal things that are invisible. And living for heaven causes us to live for that which is truly important. It's been well said there are only two things going out of this world, the Word of God and the souls of men. And that's where we need to invest our life, into reaching people with the gospel so that they might be on the path that is headed to heaven. And if we'll have heaven ever in front of us, it simplifies our life right now and causes us to live for what is most important. So, is that where your hope is set? On the living God? If it is, congratulations. If it's not, repent and trust the Savior now. This is wretched. That I, I don't even have words for that. This is something about how do you know you're saved? He gives me law, 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 law that supposedly proves I'm saved. And then at the end, it, there, there's not even a real presentation of the gospel. No, you know you are, the way you are saved is not based off what you do. It is because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. You place your faith in him. His perfect righteousness is imputed to you. You are now in him. You are now covered in that perfect righteousness. Therefore, you are saved and nothing can change that. He never mentions imputed righteousness. He never mentions the finished work of Jesus Christ. He kind of mentions Christ's sacrifice just passing, but no, but he never really says the way I mean, he clearly stated that you don't know you're saved until you're dead. So you can have no assurance. This is an utter denial of the true gospel. This is an utter, an utter, utter rejection. It's an utter rejection. It's an other gospel, which is not a gospel. It's a gospel of works. This is basically the Protestant version of Roman Catholicism. And you can disagree all day. That's fine. You, you, you go live your life thinking you passed that, those tests. You fell. Those tests are law. And the law condemns. It has never saved. And if you think that the obedience to the law is your proof of salvation, then that means you're saved by what you do, not what Christ did. Obedience to the law may be proof of salvation, but it won't be my obedience to it. It will be the perfect obedience of Christ to it. He kept the law. He died for those who can't keep the law. And his obedience is imputed to me. So when I stand before God, God sees perfect righteousness, perfect obedience, complete forgiveness. All my sins are completely wiped away. I am now perfectly righteous, perfectly holy. Well done, good and faithful servant. Because, well, I'm in Christ. And Christ is the good and faithful servant. What an utter, just, I don't, 
I don't even have words for that. I bet, but, but once again, what does this demonstrate? 2,000 years of church history? We cannot even agree in the body of Christ on something as fundamental as how do you know you're saved? What is the basis of your salvation? What is the proof of your salvation? Now, we know that there's a distinction between Roman Catholicism and the Protestant world. That was the whole Protestant Reformation. But for some weird reason, within the Protestant world, we've returned back to Rome. To a works-based gospel. And you just heard it. All right. You can email me. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. I'm going to stop right there. We'll try to do some more broadcasts throughout the day. Don't know exactly how it's going to all work out, but we'll see. And hopefully we can produce some good things for your listening um, edification today. All right. Thanks for listening. God bless.